Hello and welcome to another episode of Blooming Curious. This is the fourth episode in our Getting Started series. So if you're in your first few years of teaching or you're new to homeschool education, or even if you're a seasoned pro looking for some new inspiration insights, this is for you. Today we'll be exploring how both classroom and home-based early childhood educators can set up an inspiring learning environment indoors, which will definitely give you some food for thought as you go about setting up your classroom or your learning space for this new term. Hello and welcome to Blooming Curious, a podcast that's all about nurturing that natural curiosity in our earliest kids and students. I'm Edwina, your host from the Ed's Lessons blog, a passionate advocate for play and inquiry and on a mission to keep children curious and questioning. The days of talk and chalk are over. We're diving into the world of integrated, inquiry and nature-based learning and exploring the strategies that create lifelong learners. So if you're a classroom or homeschool educator or even a curious parent, then this is the place for you. Early childhood is a critical time for development and the environment plays a vital role in shaping a child's experiences. In fact, in Reggio Emilia settings, the environment is known as the third teacher. So creating a space that sparks curiosity and inquiry is crucial. As educators, we want to be creating an environment that not only fosters a love of learning, but also helps in the cognitive, creative and physical development of children. So before you begin frantically putting up those posters and the word walls and filling up that space, I urge you to take a moment and just consider this. What does curiosity look like? Our classrooms are not social media opportunities. They are opportunities to provoke curiosity in our students. So how do we do that? The first thing I think that we need to consider is our physical environment. I mean, have you ever walked into a space that feels overwhelming? Perhaps there's a multitude of bright primary colors or it's crammed so full that anyone using the space will feel so overwhelmed that they wouldn't even have an idea where to look or go first. And that's the kind of thing we as educators need to be cognizant of when we're creating these learning spaces for our learners. Let's consider color, for example. The psychology of color is pretty powerful. Certain colors can make us feel energized, sad, calm, and even hungry. The colors you choose play a significant role in creating a calm atmosphere conducive to learning. So soft, natural colors like soft blues and greens and earth tones are known to promote calmness and focus. Just think about what nature looks like. And those are the colors that really we want to bring into our classrooms so that children feel as almost though they are in nature. Those are the colors that are naturally calming to us as humans. There's obviously nothing you can do as a teacher when you enter a classroom and your boards, the notice boards that are already up, are bright purple and red. But usually we teachers go and spend a fortune and cover these boards with fabric. Now hessian or burlap has always been my go-to choice as it's a great neutral backdrop for displaying children's work um, or for a wonder wall. Believe it or not, but black notice boards also provide a great neutral backdrop and really make whatever you put on them pop. I think it's worth considering 
that it's children's work and wanderings that should be displayed along with some anchor charts as the weeks and months progress. So don't be afraid of children walking in on their first day and finding blank walls. These blank walls are actually opportunities for getting students involved in what goes on to those walls. And we're talking about student agency in just a little while. But most importantly, as you go about setting up your space in the next week or so, just keep things simple. So now once you've got your colors on your walls sorted, um, you need to decide on the different learning zones in the space. You'll need a cozy reading nook, um, places designed for play and organized spaces. An organized environment promotes a sense of order and helps children develop executive function skills such as organization and self-regulation. Children are just learning to organize themselves and their belongings, so they need a calm and well-organized space to do that. And if you have neurodivergent students, lots of clutter and bright colors is really not going to benefit them or their learning. So really think about and plan for calm, inviting spaces that are well organized. Students should know exactly where everything goes and also set the expectation early for keeping things orderly. For example, at the end of the day or when they've completed an activity, you can even have photographs of what a space should look like so that children can reset the space themselves but we need to model and teach children how to use the equipment and materials and how to tidy up once they have finished you probably need to model and reteach these procedures several times and children will need regular reminders don't think that just because you've done it on day one or day two they're going to remember this for you know day one term four so you will need to remind them regularly about what the space should look like and also reminders that it's a shared space so teaching you know that comes with um, respect it's a shared space for everyone to use so what does that look like what does respect look like how should we keep the place so that others can enjoy it too and just a remark here, again, when it comes to play, it's obviously going to be and it can be messy. And sometimes if you're a bit of a neat freak, you have to learn to turn a blind eye and live with it. In the construction and block area, for example, sometimes kids want to keep their construction up and add to it later or the next day. So create a way for them to do that. Perhaps they can put up a sign like work in progress which will allow them to return to that project. Or perhaps you let them take a photo of their construction or whatever they've made with an iPad and then tidy up and then perhaps this photo can become a provocation for a story or a technology project. There's a great book called Inspiring Play Spaces, which I'll link to in the show notes as well as to my Pinterest folder, where you can browse around images of inspirational play spaces that really spark curiosity in children. I've collected these for my own inspiration um, for my classrooms in the past. Now let's get back to executive function skills. An organized space and a teacher contribute significantly to the development of executive function skills in young children. We as the adults have to model organizational habits. We've got to teach children to clean up after themselves and provide visual cues for routines. Consistent practice of these habits will help children develop skills like time management, planning, 
and impulse control. These habits help children navigate what is becoming an increasingly busy and sometimes chaotic life for many of our students. So now you have your place set up. Let's talk about the kind of materials you're going to include in those spaces. We want to promote curiosity and inquiry for children to be curious and thinking individuals. So the materials we provide must foster curiosity in exploration. Things like trucks and dolls have a place in any play space, but they are not open-ended. They can only be dolls and trucks. Open-ended materials, on the other hand, are only limited by the child's imagination. Building blocks of all types, that includes Lego or Duplo. You know, you can even get wood offcuts or go to um, your local building supply store and just get some wood and chop it up yourself if you need to. Art supplies, objects from nature like plain old sticks or even pebbles and pieces of fabric all allow for a wide range of possibilities. We need to keep the environment fresh and interesting. So rotating those materials regularly is key to sustaining children's curiosity and encouraging creative thinking and problem solving. So definitely include some open-ended materials wherever you can. And that includes loose parts. And I'll be having a chat with a loose parts expert in an upcoming episode. So be sure to subscribe and follow so that you are notified of new episodes and so that you don't miss out on that chat. Now let's think about provocations for inquiry. These are intentional setups. I'm going to say it again. These are intentional setups that encourage children to explore, question and investigate. Think of them as invitations to learn. Simple yet thought-provoking activities or displays like a nature-inspired table, perhaps with drawing paper, pencils and books on the topic that supplements the objects on display, or an art station with open-ended materials, or even a simple tray or shelf with objects beautifully displayed, inviting children to touch and explore, and of course always with pictures or books related to the topic, which encourages reading and finding out. These all serve as provocations that encourage independent inquiry and nurture a love of learning. Now, provocations should, of course, be intentional. There's that word again. And a great place to start with is your humanities and social sciences topic or science. Think about what you're going to be teaching this term and then find objects that link to that topic. So, for example, let's say you're teaching forces. That's push and pull. Uh, So you get things on wheels. You can stick in some ramps, bubble wrap and sandpaper to place on those wraps to demonstrate friction, for example. What about a yo-yo, a ball, some pool toys and so much more. I remember teaching this unit in pre-primary some years ago and children became interested in the way fish move through water. And suddenly one of the children remarked that whales and dolphins push themselves out of the water. And that led to an inquiry project on how different tail shapes of sea animals allow them to move in different ways. So although we were still experimenting with push and pull, we had this whole side inquiry project going on with children even creating models of fish with the tails attached with pushpins so that they could demonstrate the way the creature moved and how the tail pushed the whales to the surface, for example. It's these kind of moments that make learning and teaching interesting, not only for teachers, by the way, but especially for our students. 
So don't be afraid to embrace those moments that lead to rich learning experiences. For some creative ideas and provocations, there's a book by Margaret Longstaff. Also remember that just a simple walk in nature or browsing around a second-hand shop are great options for finding interesting and affordable objects that provoke curiosity and inquiry. I'll post a link to the book in the show notes. We will be discussing provocations in future episodes, so again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on that. And if you're in your first few years of teaching, or you're new to home education, or perhaps you're a seasoned teacher who wants some guidance in how to integrate inquiry into everyday lessons using provocations, then I have a great little e-guide especially for you. Go to resources.edslessons.com forward slash inquiry 101 and get it there for easy step-by-step instructions for integrating inquiry into your curriculum lessons. Now finally, let's discuss how we promote children's agency in the learning environment. We all want to be seen and heard, don't we? Every person on the planet smiles when their talents and strengths are appreciated and noticed. As educators, we must allow children to make choices about the space and materials. Create areas where they can display their work or contribute to the design of the learning environment. I mentioned earlier about not worrying about filling up your walls for the first day. Well, your first day could be a great opportunity to share with students that blank wall and that it is for their wanderings and ideas, for example. Take a picture of each child and then place a thought bubble over their head and that's where their thoughts go that you can spend the next few weeks exploring. And of course, later on during the term and during the year, you could exchange those thought bubbles for their new thoughts and ideas. So by giving them a sense of agency, we empower children to take an active role in their own learning journey. As educators, we need to get away from displaying those 25 identical yellow duck crafts. We need to start thinking about how we give children agency over their work. Perhaps children can decide on their own water bird. Or perhaps they can all create ducks, but we give them the option of different materials. If you were creating ducks, because you're exploring the letter D, for example, can't they come up with their own something or other that starts with the letter D? And some may want to use water paints. Some may want to do pencil drawings. And some may want to create a collage. And so if we allow children that even if you want them all to paint ducks, but they use a different material, for example, we're now seeing true individualization and agency. And isn't that more interesting for everyone, including the environment? Isn't this type of display going to act as a provocation in itself? One where we can have discussions around art materials and inspiration and the choices they made. You know, I want to alert you to this little story written by Helen Buckley, and it's called The Little Boy. It's just two pages long, but it's all about the effect that a lack of agency has on a young child's creativity. I really urge you to read it. It'll really make you think, and it'll make you truly consider the way you ask children to tackle tasks. I'll place a link in the show notes for you, so make sure you look at that. I think you'll find it to be a really special eye-opener. Now, as we wrap up, here are a few practical things for creating an inspiring indoor learning environment that I want to leave you with. Number one, involve children in the setup process. 
and promote their agency to foster a sense of ownership. Number two, observe and adapt your environment based on their interests and your HASS and science topic. Number three, remember that the learning environment is dynamic. So don't leave up the same display for a whole term or a whole year. It changes with your topics and it changes with children's interests. And last, keep things calm and simple. Don't overdo things. Don't fill the space with all your beloved belongings. Remember, this is a space for the children. So that includes today's episode of Blooming Curious. I hope you found these insights helpful as you work towards creating inspiring indoor space for your youngest learners. I want to conclude by quoting Jess Vance, a thought leader in the field of inquiry learning, for you as you prepare your learning space. Set an intention to be rooted in curiosity. I'm going to repeat that. Set an intention to be rooted in curiosity. So remember that your space is intentional. So if you like this type of content, could I ask you to subscribe and leave a review? This is the only way this podcast will grow and get in front of other educators. So if you tap on those three dots on the episode and then tap on go to show, scroll all the way down and you'll see where it says write a review That's where you go to do just that. I thank you in advance and I really appreciate you showing up and being here. So until next week, stay blooming curious.